Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on the high country of North Carolina. So we are going to be doing a 10 episode deep dive into everything you need to know about buying a short term rental in this market. And we do have a few supplemental materials for y'all to check out over on our website. So any information that you need on pricing of short-term rental properties in this market, you can find it on our website at theshorttermshop.com. You can also find income data, thanks to our friends over at airdna.com. You can find that on our website, again, at theshorttermshop.com. If you guys are interested in buying a short-term rental property with a short-term shop agent in this market, you can email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com or you can join our Facebook group. We've created an amazing community with over 50,000 people where we talk about all short-term rental investing all day, every day. And you can join that. The name of the group is the same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And we look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, y'all. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode or short-term show special episode on the high country of North Carolina. Today, we're going to be talking about expenses. So we talk about income in a completely separate episode. So if you're looking for income related content, check out that episode. Uh, but this one's going to be more about expenses, uh, just general expenses and things that are specific to this market that maybe as someone coming in new, you might not realize are expenses. So I've got Garrett and Joe here again today. If you guys want to introduce yourselves real quick, if people are coming in halfway through the series, go ahead. Absolutely. Avery, uh, great to see you. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, my name is Garrett. I am a part of the short-term shop team uh, of agents. I am up in the high country of North Carolina, which is in the northwest corner of the state. Uh, Appalachian State is kind of our claim to fame. Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, uh, Watauga, and Avery County is, is kind of my uh, my bread and butter. So um, have lived up here for a while, went to school up here, have owned property up here, and um, have helped multiple uh, clients buy and uh, short-term rentals up here. So happy to be here. And uh, my name is Joe. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Avery. Um, I am the short-term shop agent down in the Carolina beach market, but I'm also an active investor and I've got a number of short-term rentals up in Banner Elk. And uh, yeah, just love the game. That's me. <laughs> just love the game. All right. I don't know why that cracked me up, but it did. Uh, okay. So let's talk about your regular old expenses first. So let's start with like electricity. Is there anything specific we need to know about electricity in this market? Really want to poke the bear right out of the bat. Don't you? <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we were just, right we were just joking about it uh, before we hopped on, um, you know, like most, like other areas, I, I know it can sometimes be different in, for instance, down at the beach, you know, Joe might spend more in the summertime blasting that AC versus the wintertime up here. Um, definitely going to see higher utilities really across the board in the wintertime with the the temperatures being a lot cooler uh, in the summertime or colder in the summertime. Things being a lot seasonal. A lot of places don't even have air conditioning up here. So it's not even going to be a huge expense in the summertime when you do have to kick it in. It's going to be next to nothing. Um, so uh, electric is something to think about in the wintertime. Um, the other thing to think about when you're looking at purchasing property is there's a lot of these properties that are on 
um, old baseboard electric heating, which historically can be a more expensive form of heating. Um, so that's something to think about. Is it electric? Is it gas? Have they replaced the electric or if they added mini splits into a home to offset the cost of electric that can really change the, the price of heat. Um, so yeah, gas, you know, there are going to be certain properties that have HVAC and essential duct system. Um, so it's going to be kind of half and half between a, a gas or propane form of heat, uh, versus electric. Um, as far and really, I would say the temperature and the heat is going to be the big variance. Joe, I know you um, are smiling over there and, and can add to um, some of the electricity stuff. Yeah, um, electric heat is expensive whenever it's uh, twenty degrees outside. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Or um, negative twenty. Or negative south, twenty. Yes. Yeah. 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 So when we have clients who are from states that are up north where it snows really, really regularly and is always really, really cold. They freak out about the electricity cost down here and they're like, well, it's not like that up here. Why is it like that down there? Right. And it's uh, and they try to do a good job about it too. Like I thought it was kind of cool right off the bat that they actually lower the cost per kilowatt hour in the winter season. Um, so I, and my bill, they're showing us like, Hey, like we're reducing your costs. Um, but what they're not telling you is you're about to burn a lot more kilowatt hours to keep the place a lot hotter. And so, um, they do try to like keep that cost down, but if your building is older, like mine are, um, and they're not as insulated as well, just expect a higher cost on it. And mine are the in-wall, um, electric heaters. And so they're just not as efficient. And, um, I've got a lot of square footage I'm trying to heat with that. And so even even my bathrooms, they have like the, the heated fans in the ceiling that are electric that blow heat straight down. And my guests love those because it keeps the bathroom like scalding hot whenever you're in there. But uh, it definitely burns up some kilowatt hours. Is there anything we can do as a new investor coming in, maybe looking for a specific type of construction or anything we can do after the fact to kind of mitigate these electricity costs? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, like anywhere, any market, the more you can insulate a property, you know, a lot, a lot of these properties have single pane windows, depending on the age of the condition of the windows, that's going to be a huge source of letting, letting heat in, um, crawl spaces, um, depending on how exposed or not exposed they are. Uh, I know Joe has some crawl spaces that some of them are bigger and smaller than others and have a lot of open, um, you know, access to the, to, to the outside elements. So, you know, really just kind of your basic stuff that you'll see all around crawl space, uh, I think is a huge thing with air coming, kind of coming up from underneath, um, as well as, uh, you know, your windows and your windows and insulation, as far as like an architectural style of home, um, you know, I have found that, you know, obviously some of these smaller units that are more efficient are going to obviously be easier to heat. You know, if you got an 800 square foot, uh, property that is, you know, a little bit bigger than a tiny home, obviously that's going to be a lot less, um, you know, regardless of the insulation, it's going to be take a lot less to to heat something like that than you know a giant three or four thousand square foot home. Um, but yeah, I would say the crawl space and, and windows um, can be the two big things to look out for um, when you're buying. No, not even to say that you have to replace it, but just to kind of think about that when you're buying it. Okay, hey, my utilities are going to be more, so kind of budgeting that when you're running numbers. If you're not going to replace it, you know whatever route you want to take. And I just want to reiterate that to the T it's more about like knowing your numbers and when they're coming, because from a year over year standpoint, like we said, it's a lot lower electricity 
in the actual summer. And so, cause we're not running air conditioning very much. Like it feels great up in Banner Elk. And so it's more of, okay, I have all those expenses here in this three month span instead of broken out over the whole year. And so that's why I like to look at my short-term rentals over the whole year so I can budget that better, but just be prepared. Like if you're planning on having higher capital expenditures, all hitting on one month, just know your electricity bill is going to be higher, you know, yep. December, January, February. Another thing too that a lot of these older homes have as a form of heat that I think a lot of us can agree are are not good in short term rentals is like um like fireplaces like wood wood stoves that heat places which I know sounds archaic but you'll see it in a lot of places where you'll have you know the house's actual form of the heat is a wood you know stove with a fan that blows heat when you build a fire um and so that's something to think about as well when you're buying properties i do not suggest having that in a short-term rental where you can have guest build fires but in a lot of those places they would need to be switched out in some form of gas or electric heat to swap out that heat source um, that you will see in some of these older cabins up here um that are a uh, that either used to be or a part of the main or, or secondary source of heat i think you guys covered that really really well uh all right so well, actually, I do have one more question on electricity. So, well, on heat specifically, is it common? You're, you kind of talked about like older heat sources and things like that. And there's a few, I've, I've run into a few of those in other markets that have to be changed out to central. Is gas heat normal at all or is everything electric in that market? Uh, it, it it definitely exists. You know, there's definitely a lot, there's some properties that ha- do have gas heaters. I would say the biggest thing is that typically, you know, the cost of running ductwork through your house, sometimes it's impossible if it hasn't, wasn't done when the construction was done. So you'll see typically properties that were built after 2000 will at least have the ductwork and infrastructure to have a HVAC unit that can be, yes, could be gas, could be electric. A lot of times it's propane. Um, some of this, a lot of the stuff pre 2000, it's going to have some sort of, it's going to be a mostly some form of electric. You'll even see some monitor kerosene heating in some of these old uh properties that have you know literally fueled by kerosene um but and so those are those are something you'll have to think about and and replacing those really is 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 changing it with uh, a lot of times it's in the form of a mini split or something obviously you're not going to put ductwork you know try to put ductwork through your house uh, in a lot of these places is impossible. So that's something to think about. Typically it's kind of the pre 2000 stuff where um, you're going to probably most likely, if you're going to replace any of this kerosene or baseboard heating, it's going to be in the form of mini splits. Um, I think it also depends on like the location of the house, because like in the HOA that I bought in, um, if you're at the beginning of the HOA, there's actually like a pipeline for natural gas that you can tap into. Um, It's a little bit too far for it to connect to my property for it to make sense. And so I do have propane fire pits or fireplaces in each one of my units. And it's a great secondary heat source if the guests use it. Um, But most of them just crank it up on the electricity. So if you can get them to use that. Yeah, it it can save you a good bit on heat. And and I have a cabin that, again, it used to be, it used to have one of those wood stoves in it and it's been replaced with it looks like a wood stove, but it's a it's a gas stove um, that looks exa- identical to it. It has a chimney that goes all the way up through the roof, but it's just a gas stove. So there's definitely and it has an above ground propane tank. So it's not uncommon to see some um, alternative forms of heat with the uh, with propane or gas. Who'd have thought you get so deep on electricity and propane? I know, I know. See, that's why we're that's why we have these episodes because there's a lot of stuff that you just don't think about as somebody who's doing it every day that. Like, I would not know what to do if I bought a house. I'm like, 
propane heat. What what do I do with this? Right. So um, it's good to be talking about this. Right. And a lot of these places too, um, when you're thinking about expenses, um, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, how do I get this filled? Whatever. Uh, that's something that can be negotiated in a contract. Typically, it's prorated at closing. So you know, if I buy Joe's house and it has a third, you know, we'll get a reading at closing and say, okay, this is the price of propane at this time, and I'll get credited that, or he'll credit me, you know, for. 65 gallons of propane. A lot of times it's cheaper to do that way versus Joe's going to pay to get his propane drained. Then I'm going to have to pay a upcharge to get it filled up. So that's a lot, a lot of times the way we do it as far as closing. So that's something to think about too. There's, I've had some buyers that are like, oh man, I wasn't expecting to pay $400 in you know propane at closing, but it ended up being cheaper. If they would have drained and started a new service of propane, it would have been more expensive down the road. So that's something to think about as far as the transfer of ownership and expenses. Um, and then you get on, you know, you typically get on an auto, there's a meter that's hooked up to the propane company. So there's an auto, you know, they come out and auto fill it and bill it. So you don't have to worry about, hey, a propane's dry. And I didn't set a reminder on my phone and now the guests don't have heat until I get somebody out there. There, It's usually, you know, I know Joe's places have some propane and they, and they come out and auto fill it. Yeah. That's something that always jumps up and bites me as an agent is that I always forget about the propane proration. Like every, I even know, I tell myself, don't forget about the propane proration. And it always jumps up and surprises me at the end. And I know it's coming every time. And yeah. every time I'm like, oh crap. The propane. <laughs> so y'all don't be me. Remember the propane. Yeah. Remember the propane. That's yeah. great. Um, okay. So let's talk about something else that we can actually get pretty deep on, depending on a number of factors. Internet is good, you know, regular cable internet available in most places. If not, what are the alternatives and what are the costs of those? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thankfully, you know, due to the university app, app state, um, you know, they're not running on dial up. So there's definitely a lot of places in and around Boone that um, have fiber connection and good internet. Um, there's really two, two big internet suppliers up here, SkyBest and Charter. Um, you know, if you get it into some of these rural areas, uh, way outside of town, you might be looking at something like satellite or um, something a little bit more creative. But I have personally not have any clients, had, had any clients have any internet issues, um, you know, with, as far as getting fast, reliable internet um, up here at all, really. Yeah, it's been pretty good. And with, uh, especially if you're buying properties that are close to each other, like I found it's fast enough that I do my uh, little, my little internet hack where I like put one router in one and then I use my satellites to beam it to other units and whatnot. And so um, I found that as a pretty unique way to save on it. If your units are right beside each other, you can do that. And so um, I've got the six units up there and I only pay for three internet services and I've got blazing fast internet. So yeah. I haven't seen a problem with that and not across the other units I was looking at either just from a uh, internet standpoint. Yeah. All right. Well, I was expecting to have to get much deeper because in some of our other mountain markets, it, cable internet doesn't service a lot of places. And then you have to deal with like trying to get Starlink or trying to get hot spots and other types of things but if y'all that's that's awesome if it's yeah. uh, most places We're out pretty there. advanced around here <laughs> Avery. Yeah. Uh, we've got internet <laughs> everywhere um so go high country all right well i was not expecting that um next water and sewer are most of these places on city water and sewer or are they on septic and well and what are the costs associated with that right yeah uh, I, I would say as far as the Short-term rentals, um, 90% of the properties are going to be on well and, uh, well and septic. Um, city water, city sewer is really 
Uh, you're going to see that in parts of kind of downtown Banner Elk, downtown Boone, downtown Blowing Rock. A lot of those places are in and around the university or some primary neighborhoods that, um, you know, the zoning doesn't even allow short allow short term rentals. For instance, Blowing Rock, if you have city water, city sewer, you're part of the town and they don't have allow short term rentals. Um, so, so going back to, you know, if you're buying a short term rental up here, there is a better chance than not, you're going to be on a well and septic. Um, now, now the structure of that might vary. Um, it is not uncommon to be on a shared well with a neighbor or two. I, I just drilled a well um, at, at a property of mine and just signed all the documents to share water with the neighbor uh, that needs water as well. Um, it's a it's a common way for a lot of, of homeowners to, you know, offset the cost of drilling a well by sharing with the neighbors based on how many gallons a minute they get. Um, I would recommend, you know, I always tell people to get well inspections. It's a pretty common practice during the due diligence period. Um, you can figure out how many gallons a minute that well pumps. And so if it is on a shared well, say with five people, and you know you're wary about running out of water. Well, hey, if it pumps 30 gallons a minute, that's good for a whole subdivision. Um, and you could be more weary about it pumping two gallons a minute and supplying six houses. Um, some of these older, some of these older, you know, stretches when they were developed, they had shared well rights, and then, but at the time, there wasn't really a lot of lots that were developed, and now there might be, you know too many wells on that actually shared well. And so you might have to think about, hey, there's a risk of me having to drill a well at some point. Um, so that, with all that being said, um, I, I hear less of water issues or wells running dry that I might hear in, say, the Smokies. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with just the precipitation that we get year-round uh, between the snow in the wintertime and all of the rain in the summertime. Um, I, I do not um, hear as many stories. Like I, I'm sure it does happen. Um, but there's not as many stories about what wells are running dry. Um, as far as the costs that go along with, when you actually have them on a shared well agreement, typically there's a well owner or president that kind of manages it. Uh, it might be the person whose well is on the property. Um, and there's some sort of agreement to pay X amount of dollars a year to maintain that well. Typically, it's no more than a couple hundred bucks a year. Um, if I'm in a neighborhood with, you know, I'm shared, shared well with one or two other people to, you know, typically 200 bucks a year, hundred to $300 a year, um, to incur just the well pump. If that goes down and fixes or needs, you know, as far as obviously the water, you're not paying for the water, which is the beauty of having a well. Um, and so the, 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 the really the big cost of having a well come in and drilling it. Um, and if it's already there and it's healthy, um, it's really just kind of routine maintenance on the pump. Um, you know, I've had some instances where, it could be, there could be coliform and it needs to be shocked with chlorine, which is a couple hundred bucks. So little things like that. So that's typically what happens uh, on a shared well. And then obviously if you have your own well, you're just dealing with all those things, you know, um, themselves, uh, I would, you know, budget a couple, you know, budget, budget a couple hundred dollars a year, um, to maintain your well. Some years you might spend more, some years you might spend, well, you know, less. Um, but the construction of the well is going to be big, uh, the big expense. And then as far as septic goes, um, similar situation, uh, you're going to see a lot less shared septic systems. I would be weary of share of shared septic systems. Um, shared drain fields are a little bit more, um, okay. In my opinion, cause you actually have your own tank. You're not worrying about a neighbor flushing something bad down the toilet. You're just sharing, you know, the, the actual drain field. Um, I encourage my buyers to kind of get educated and I'll send them some things on what, what a septic system is and what it isn't um, and how they work. Um, again, it's another thing that I encourage buyers to get inspected during the due diligence period. Um, you have some that haven't been pumped in 30 years. And if they're working properly, sometimes they don't need to be if they're at a certain level. Um, a lot of people, you know, the septic companies will tell you to kind of pump everything. 
um, every three to five years. And that'll run you a thousand bucks every time you pump it. So if you're pumping it every three, five years, you can think about, you know, spending around a thousand bucks uh, when that happens. Um, and again, that is going to be super common up here uh, with, with septic stuff. Um, and I'm trying to think. Yeah, you have other neighborhoods like Joe's that is kind of on a community septic system. So the neighborhood might be have their own kind of, you know, a couple wells in their own system uh, that taps into. Obviously, depending on the structure, you might pay that pay that through in the form of an HOA due or through some sort of you know well septic agreement. Um, but yeah, very yeah. common up here. That's what I do with mine. I bought an HOA community and they've got multiple wells on site and they've got one large septic system that they do. And so I just pay the HOA and they manage all that for me. And so they're not typically super expensive, um, but it just, again, the HOAs are going to depend on like what they're providing and all the additional stuff. So mine's supposed to be taking care of the roads and the septic and the um, well systems. And so we just pay to that every month. And, and, and the other thing too, with septic systems, you know, people ask me, people get or like, Hey, should I get my septic system, you know, installed, you know, uh, inspected? I'm like, well, they have to pump it to inspect it. So if it hasn't been pumped, you're going to pay a thousand bucks, but you're also saving on the next time it needs to be, you know, pumped. Uh, additionally, I think a lot of people that are unfamiliar with septic systems are like, Oh, this could be a 60, $70,000 expense. I have no idea. Um, I can tell you that depending on the system now, drip systems, whatever can be a little bit more, but a traditional septic system, you know, is going to cost anywhere from, 7,000 to 11,000. So you can kind of think like, okay, worst case scenario, if my septic system goes bad or it needs to be completely replaced, you're looking at, you know, roughly an, on average, a $10,000 expense. So yes, it's an expense, but I would look at it, you know, it's almost like a small roof. It's not necessarily like a 50 or $60,000 foundation crack issue. If, if, and when it ever is, you know, a giant issue or needs to be entirely replaced. All right, crush that one. I don't that even have any follow-up questions. You guys just like did it, <laughs> laid it down the first time. I guess the septic man, was, he knows I was, it gonna, all. I was gonna make a, <laughs> a poop joke, but <laughs> uh okay, so let's talk about insurance. So in some markets like beach markets, you have to worry about hurricanes and other markets you have to worry about tornadoes and other markets you have to worry about wildfires is there anything like that that you kind of have to worry about on a regular basis in this market i'm trying to think off the top of my head i can't think of anything um joe will probably be able to be answer this question a little bit better because i know my properties i kind of have don't listen to me because I have, I don't think I got the right short-term insurance for some of these properties and I shouldn't have been renting <laughs> it. Um, but as far as natural disasters, I mean, knock on wood, we don't really have flood. Like I've never heard of, a, I mean, there, there probably has, but not wildfires are definitely not a thing like they are out again because of how wet things are year round. Um, I, I, I haven't heard, I guess mudslides could maybe be a thing. Um, the only thing that I can think of that can apply in some of these low lying areas around rivers is going to be floodplain flood zone stuff. Um, which again, um, I have found in FEMA XE zones are going to be the highest flood zone ratings. You can look at, uh, it needs to be, it, it usually, it, it has to be disclosed if it isn't a floodplain, but you can look at the FEMA map to see, um, typically again, those are all the properties that are, are literally on a river or right around a river. Um, those are in my, what I can think of the only kind of natural disasters that we could potentially have as far as when we do get heavy rains, there could be some flooding. Um, and, um, but the floodplains typically tend to be around in and around the, the rivers. Joe, I don't right. know if there's any crazy policies or 
things you had not on really i mean this was one of the main reasons why i really like this market when i was running numbers is because if you compare it to my short-term rentals here at the beach like we've just got such higher cost on wind and hail insurance we've got flood insurance like um, essentially down here um, if you're within 50 miles of the coast you have to get an ncjua policy which is just a north carolina backed wind and hail insurance and up in the mountains you really don't have that um we don't have a ton of like forest fires anything like that like technically what is it uh is it a rainforest technically garrett um theoretically yeah it was as far as the amount of rainfall yeah yeah and so it's like we don't have a lot of those issues and so my insurance rates there were a lot lower than my beach properties and so that was one of my uh bigger draws whenever I was initially running numbers is every quote I got, it was half, if not a third of what my beach property insurance rates were. And so um, I also like to do additional rider liability insurance policies, like on my LLCs and on me personally. And so those are cheap, which I like to for some extra protection, but you should be doing that across the board. So it's not specific to here. Okay. So insurance is pretty like just generally not too bad because there's not anything major. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually, again, without spitting out actual numbers, because it can be, you know, it can vary pr- on property type. I have historically found that clients are pleasantly surprised um, with what the insurance is versus where they maybe live uh, if they're not, you know, from North Carolina. Um, just kind of a, overall. Awesome. Same with same with taxes. I don't know if we're getting into taxes next. Yes, um, we are. That was going to be my next question. So go right ahead into taxes. I would say property taxes. Um, you know, in North Carolina, they get us, or at least up here, I don't know if it changes throughout different counties or not. They get assessed every five years up in Watauga and Avery County. And so it's not every year. It's not every purchase. Um, and so it's kind of staggered. So we're kind of, this is the last year we're finishing up a reassessment. So some properties got assessed last year. Some of them are being reassessed this year. Um, and so you're kind of looking at, Hey, your property assessed value is growing every year, but every five years when someone really comes out is when it could see a bigger kind of spurt of growth. Um, with that being said, I'm not sure if we can compete with Tennessee. I think maybe the property taxes are a little bit lower there, but very similar. Um, I mean, just for a, like a rough comparison, a rough kind of analysis, if you got a 2000 square foot house, you're not, you're typically going to pay, you can go online and see the tax, the mill rates, but it's going to be somewhere around 2000 bucks a year for a, you know, 2000 square foot house. Um, I've seen, you know, on a giant or a bigger 300, 3000 square foot house, something that would sell for one and a half million, you know, you're still looking at a tax rate that's around 3000 bucks a year. Um, so again, those are kind of rough estimates, but, um, another category where I've always have found, at least if you're not from Tennessee, um, or North Carolina, my clients are typically, um, shocked at how low the, the property taxes are. Yeah. It's dirt cheap just across the board. My, uh, property tax on my condos are like five, 600 bucks a year, which is awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) I love it. All right. All right. So let's get into some of the things that might be specific to this market. Like, does everyone have a hot tub? What does hot tub maintenance look like? Let's start there. I'll stop. Oh, um, not everybody has a hot tub. I know, you know, in some of these other episodes, we talked a little bit about the benefits of a hot tub. I definitely think they are an added value. They could be used year round just based on the weather. And there's a lot of places up here that do have hot tubs. You know, I know Joe's places uh, crush it and don't have hot tubs. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily say it's like, maybe as much as the Smokies, as, as a, it's not as much of a requirement to be successful. Um, that being said, as far as the people that do have them, um, a couple of different ways to go about it. I know 
you know, my parents have a, have a hot tub at their condo. They pay their cleaner a little bit more and have them trained and their cleaner has experience with, you know, maintaining the hot tub and dropping a couple of tablets in and out, you know, when, when they're there, um, other people will pay a hot tub, you know, a hot tub person, their own person that will kind of go around and make sure the hot tub is, um, has the right levels depending on, you know, what kind of tub they have. Um, so it varies a little bit, uh, but definitely not impossible to find and have just because it is pretty prevalent and popular for people to, uh, to have hot tubs. Uh, I have never owned a hot tub. I don't necessarily know exactly how much it costs. I would assume it's very similar across the board as far as how much bromine and chlorine and all of those things cost and, uh, you know, tablets cost to put in it. Um, I would, I, I do know the one thing, the one expense that can change up here versus some other areas is the installation of a hot tub. Um, when you're, when you are buying a property, I would make sure that if there's not room on the panel for 220 or 240 volt, you know, which is what you need for your hot tub, that there's room for that. And then there's also going to need, going to need that to have that power from whatever your panel is to your hot tub. So that's going to be obviously an electrician fee to get that run. So that's something to think about, um, as well as where your hot tub's going and how it's going to get there. Um, I know my parents' hot tub wasn't crazy expensive. It was like a smaller four person hot tub that was, um, you know, I want to say 5,000 bucks, but it was almost 2000 bucks to get it up there because I had to use a crane because of the deck that it was on it. So that's something to think about where your hot tub is, is and where it's going, because if it needs to be on a crane, it could be, you know, the half the price of the hot tub to get it there. Um, as well as if it is on a three-story deck, you know, having a structural engineer or having somebody out there to make sure that the deck can support it. Cause that's another thing you'll see in some of these old properties. So, you know, when you're thinking about putting a hot tub in, um, I would say that's the biggest kind of expense. You're looking at power, the structure of the deck, and how you're going to get it there as far as you know accessibility. Um, you know, and I would say those things can be just as important as the actual price of the tub. You know, you might spend twice as much as the actual. If a tub costs five, you might spend ten with doing all those other things. So that's that's what I can speak on as far as the up daily the daily management. Um, I would say it's similar to, you know, Joe, if there's people that have hot tubs at the beach, I would say it's very similar across the board on how it gets done and who takes care of it. Yeah. Um, I'm planning on putting hot tubs into my units. And so um, one of my big things was interviewing cleaners that had done hot tub maintenance and whatnot. And you'd be surprised at how few of them knew what I was like talking about. It's not as prevalent, like we said, in this market, but um, it's typically just a rider on top of whatever cleaning fee you had. And so they were telling me it's like 25 or so bucks per like turnover as they're doing it. And so it's just not something that's normally worked into the initial cleaning fees. And so it's just something to account for if you want to do that of training your cleaner to do it. And you're probably going to want to show them how to do it well. And then just have them say, Hey, what's this going to cost me? You can knock this out in 15 minutes, like add that on top of whatever right. my other fee is and roll and with that, that. I mean, and I'm just even thinking out loud. I mean, uh, having a cleaner do that is going to be beneficial because you don't have to worry about, I guess, you know, if I'm on, if I'm a hot tub guy, just a hot tub guy, I have to know your calendar or when your guests are going to be there and not going to be there. And so you have to work around that. It's not like a primary residence where your hot tub guy can just put on a routine schedule on his and just show up unannounced and put stuff in their hot tub because he knows it's in your primary backyard, like a pool guy or something. So the cleaner can definitely be beneficial because they obviously know your schedule because they're there cleaning it. Um, and, um, you know, I would say the only other thing that I've heard people have is if they do have long breaks in between guests, you know, say it's the summer or the spring or, you know, you, Hey, you got two weeks between the last guest. 
uh, you know, the hot tub could, they, it might need some sort of chemicals or some sort of upkeep before the next guests arise, even though the cleaner did it when they cleaned the day after the, you know, turnover, it's been sitting there for a week or a week and a half. And so that can be something obviously to keep an eye on as well, just from a scheduling logistics standpoint. All right. Again, man, you guys are crushing it today. <laughs> You're answering all my follow-up questions before I ask them. Uh, so my last one that is specific to the market is snow removal. So obviously it's a ski market. I think snow stays on the ground for longer than in some of the other markets that we work in. So what do you do about that? Yeah, great question. Um, it is, uh, it sucks sometimes. I know Joe can, can speak for it. Um, there, it, it really is property specific. Um, I, overall the main roads, Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock. I mean, we anticipate getting a lot of snow. We have a lot of infrastructure to handle that. Uh, I think in my four years of, or four and a half years, that's a different conversation uh, of college. Um, I maybe didn't have class like five days. And that was usually because professors couldn't, that lived in the sticks, whose driveway was blocked. You know, so as far as the main roads getting in and out of town, they're going to do a really good job of clearing them. Um, you're not typically going to have any issues with guests getting into town um, because of the roads, unless it's in the middle of a blizzard. Um, that being said, you know people flock to town when we get a bunch of snow because because that's when the skiing and the snowboarding is good. You know, typically people aren't going to take their Honda Civic up to Boone. You know, when there's snow on the ground, so the main roads are going to do a really good job of clearing. Where you're going to see a bigger issue. As far as you know, your responsibility and liability as a short-term rental owner or a property owner is going to be, you know, your particular street and neighborhood as well as your driveway. So, you know, if you are in a neighborhood that, you know, a, typically any sort of neighborhood with an HOA, you're going to pay a couple hundred bucks a year, and a lot of that is going to be so the main the, the neighborhood roads get cleared. Now, you know, with that being said, is the neighborhood is that person with the HOA is that are they going to do it the day of? Maybe not. Maybe it has to be three inches, you know, a certain height for the HOA person to come out there. Um, and so that's kind of at the discretion. It's not always at your discretion when it gets plowed. It's just like the rest of the neighborhood. And then addition, and then the bigger, you know, but, but I found that properties that do that, they do a pretty good job of keep, keep making sure their neighborhood gets cleared. You know, where you're going to see a bigger issue is if you have a driveway or some stretch of the road that is only really except like your house is, you're the only person that depends on that section of the road or whether it's a driveway or part of the, you know, you're, you're going to be at the bottom of the podium pole or you're, it's going to be your responsibility. And so that's something to think about. Um, when you are purchasing, um, there are there, you know, that with that being said, there are people that will come and plow your driveway or road, personal people, there's college people that college kids that will put something on the front of their truck. The same person that does the HOA, you know, you can contact them a lot of times and you can pay them X amount and they'll come to your driveway, you know? So there's all, oh, there's definitely a lot of people that will come in and, and do it, uh, on a kind of a on-call basis. I know, you know, Bill on another episode was talking about, he had his driveway plowed three times this year. Um, and I'm sure it was a, somebody in the neighborhood, maybe it's the person that plows the neighborhood that he paid on a, you know, per contract basis to go out and, and plow the driveway. I would say on a typical driveway, obviously they can change, you know, I've seen not a half mile long driveway, but it could cost anywhere from a hundred to 150 bucks each time you're going to have to get your road plowed. Um, again, it can change with all that being said. Um, I think it's really important if you do have a driveway like that um, 
to disclose, hey, four-wheel drive is required in the wintertime. Um, and that kind of can cover you on if a guest gets stuck and you find out they're in a two-wheel drive Honda Civic, you're like, hey, I, you need four-wheel drive. It's not my problem. I'm sorry. You know, Obviously, there's that fine line from the host standpoint that we don't have to get into as far as how you're going to deal with it and react to it. But I would definitely say you know, the more that you can disclose in your listing, hey, this is four-wheel drive, um, you know, properties that have a really cool view. I've never heard anybody complaining about having to drive up a steep hill to get to it because you're not going to get a really cool view in the valley. Um, so people are expecting to have a drive that's not, you know, what they're typically used to in Raleigh or Charlotte or where they're coming from. It kind of can sometimes add to the adventure of their trip. Um, but the more you can disclose, um, it's definitely an expense. It's definitely something to think about. Some winters are worse than others. This winter um, has been overall like a warm winter. That being said, like around Christmas, we had a crazy, crazy storm and crazy heat. You know, we've had a couple kind of crazy, weird one-off um, storms. And so it is um, definitely an expense. Have, you know, talk to the neighbors because everyone out there is, is kind of dealing with the same thing, whether you're having a primary residence or a rental property. Um, I have, I have kind of found that it's when those storms happen, uh, everyone kind of is working together. People aren't like going to call and get your car towed if it's parked in a little bit off the road in someone's neighborhood because the tow truck probably won't even be able to get there anyway. And everyone, and they're worried about towing people off the main roads. And so, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a case by case scenario. Um, condos, that's one advantage of condos. If you're in a condo that has typically, those are all going to get plowed in the, you know, if you're in a big enough complex, that HOA is going to take care of it. And so it's something to think about when you, um, I would say it's a bigger expense if you're buying something that's not in the HOA or that is a little bit, you know, off the grid, so to speak, or has its own long driveway or own private road that um, isn't going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, it's a long story short. Just make sure you have somebody who knows how to put salt out because yeah. when snow is coming, if you don't have salt on the road, you don't have that guy that's going to do the scraping for you. That's where you're going to get in trouble because yeah, we put in all of our messages. You need four wheel drive. You need the, that jazz, but it's so property specific that if you know your property is going to have trouble with snow, like my parking lot does, you need to make sure that before that snow gets here, there's plenty of salt out because then they're not going to have a problem. You don't have to get a tow truck done because there's nothing uh, more difficult than a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You have guests all texting you that we can't get out and it's uh, it's no fun there. So being proactive is the key and it shouldn't cost you more than a couple hundred bucks to get that done when a snow is coming across the board. So typically that's something that you could have your handyman handle. You got it. To right. the and my cleaners and had a good contact already for that. Okay. So you just kind of make sure that you're getting out in front of it and handling it before the snow happens with the salt and all that, rather than waiting until after it happens. Right. 100% because you put that salt down on an already frozen yard across the board and it is just not going to work. It doesn't do it doesn't <laughs> much. Yep. All right. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about that maybe you guys as investors or your clients have maybe been surprised by or people that's things that people don't think about when they're buying properties in this market? Um, look, looking or thinking about looking at some of these overall expenses, I would say another thing that is common up here for people to do is, uh, is some sort of pest or termite control. Um, a lot of times it's a quarterly service. Um, termites are not carpenter bees, um, is not uncommon up here. Um, so to have that, um, kind of in your budget, I, again, depends on the property size. Um, 
I pay 500 bucks for the year and they come out once a quarter to spray stuff. And if I, there's an issue, they'll come out, you know, on call. If there's a bigger issue, that's something to think about. Again, not a crazy expense, but definitely something that I would encourage people to do, especially people that have a you know full log cabin home. You're dealing with, you know, just straight wood that has a lot of, can have a lot of um, termite carpenter bee stuff. If it's not, you know, you're not taking preventative action. Um, another thing that can come kind of in the initial buying period, that's not necessarily an ongoing expense is radon is super popular up in this area. Um, and so there is a lot of homes that have a radon mitigation fan installed. Um, again, some people are a lot more or less worried about it. Um, that's again, a separate conversation, but to have a radon, you know, a lot of these homes that have sat vacant for a long time, um, will come back in inspection and the radon levels are super high. Um, to, and some people will freak out and be like, Hey, I'm out. Um, other people will use it as a negotiation tool to get a couple closing, you know, closing credits. Sellers usually will pay for a radon mitigation system and that will cost you depending on your setup cross space basement, you know, a thousand to 1500 bucks. So that's something to think about as well. Radon, uh, and pest and, um, I think we cover insurance taxes, utilities, yeah, we pretty much hit all the big ones across the board. The only thing that's really a surprise is going to be your higher internet or not higher internet, your higher uh, electricity costs in the winter and the uh, random snow plow that you got to pay for and the guy to get the salt down. Those are the biggest ones for me whenever I saw it come through on mine this first season. Gotcha. All right. Well, guys, if that's it, then we will go ahead and sign off. And if any of you listening want to buy a house in the high country, give us a holler uh, at the short-term shop, agents at the shop.com and we'll get you connected with Garrett. And uh, I believe that's it, guys. Any parting words? Make sure you hit the mountain coaster. It's amazing. Okay. Mountain <laughs> coaster. Yeah, I think we nailed it. Thanks I just want to throw that out there. Good. All right. Good to know. I'll uh, I'll definitely check that out next time I'm up there. But thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Andrew. Mm.